glad. It's the time when we remember and give thanks to all those men and women in the military who sacrificed their lives for our precious freedom. May your Memorial Day weekend reflect this blessing as you spend time with your family and friends. I want to take this opportunity to wish you a very blessed Memorial Day weekend. We know that you are remembering the lives, the legacies of people who are very close to you. And we want to especially remember those who have given their lives in defense of our country to preserve our freedoms. We live in one of the greatest countries ever on the face of the earth. And it is our blessing to be with you Monday through Friday on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. So from all of us here at EWTN Radio, have a most blessed Memorial Day weekend. God bless you. The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Why do I have to be the insightful profession? Thank you for empowering me. Here's what I think is going on. I think you're hooting and a half. My idea, my theory, my guidance is a bit of a stretch. I just love your show. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are really smart. I am sensitive and understanding and nurturing. Your show to me is like a comedy information show. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. No longer with the Springer guarantee. That's it. It's over. It's done. When he went off the air, our Springer guarantee was your children will never be on Jerry Springer. All you have to do is listen to about maybe a segment and a half of this program. You have to prove it. Well, now we can say you, your kids will not be on any reality TV shows. You ever think about that? When the reality TV shows are, are kind of as bad as the old afternoon TV shows? Just slipping down the slope. Good to have you with me. I'm Dr. Ray Garetti. Program Doctor is in Monday version, the e-person version. By the way, I do I play trivia, and there was a question about a homophone. Now, a homophone, I guess, is something that a word that sounds the same as another word, but is spelled different. And I was all excited because the question was about homophones, and I blew it. I didn't know it. Well, e-person Monday. Uh, has been uh, involved, has been uh, utilized as a name, because I didn't want to say email. Now, one might say, why not? Why not? Well, mail, M-A-I-L, sounds the same as mail, M-A-L-E. It's a homophone. So I don't want to say email Monday because it's patriarchal. It's linguistically insensitive, even though it's a homophone. So, with that said... This is E-Person, where we will get to your many, many emails that come in, and I will do what I can to get to as many as I can, and usually lagging way, way behind. My very first book, I started when I was in my 20s. There was a chapter in the book about how to talk yourself out of authority. And one of the segments of the chapter was titled Escalation. 
which is not uncommon for a child to strongly react with behavior that is much worse than you've seen when you finally start to set limits on behavior that that you've tolerated, you've allowed it. At least at some level, you've allowed it. However, inconsistently, you've allowed it. Attempting to establish consistent, clear expectations, the child oftentimes doesn't just accept this. They, they fight it. They resist it heavily. Not unusual, a parent will come into my office for a second session, and I'll ask, how did it go? Sometimes, surprisingly, children responded. Other times, oh, all heck broke loose. Parents said, why is that? He said, well, you probably underestimated how attached, if you want to use that word, the child is to doing what they want, at least part of the time. So given that, I have a question. If you want to do a little test, if you want to know how attached, how truly, truly, uh, it is viewed as a third kidney to your child, and they have a smartphone, and you've decided that their age, 12, 13, 14, 15, and that's really the vast majority of kids in that age group have them. You've decided, oh, I made a mistake. This is not good. Now, whether you've decided that because you've, as a parent, saw all of the repercussions of having a smartphone, what it does to your child's personality, his social existence, his interacting with real live people in the presence, or as more often happens, you've discovered a, an egregious offense. Something something bad has happened with his smartphone. And you've decided I I can't I can't just allow this anymore. Uh should I take it temporarily? Should I take it permanently? I will routinely ask parents, well, given what the child did, given how this youngster misused that phone, do you think this is an offense that you should just discipline by a, a couple of weeks and then assume this is not going to happen again? Or do you think at this point the phone is too much temptation, it is having too much ill effect on your child's character? And most of the time they'll say, oh, yeah, I, I just think, yeah, I, I can't trust that this won't happen again, and I think that it is doing things that I, I didn't anticipate. Okay. What do you think will happen if you explain to your child that uh, the phone was too much too soon and you are reassessing and removing the phone and you will consider way down the road when to reintroduce it? The parent says, oh, oh boy, I think they'll be upset. I think they'll really be upset. How upset do you think they'll be? Oh, it, it probably, yeah, they'll probably, oh, yeah, that, it, it'll probably get really, uh, I, I, can, I can imagine. Well, you do what you want to do, but know that as a parent you have a right to reassess and readjust 
and do what you wish after having made a premature move. They'll come back two weeks later. I can't believe it. Her reaction was so far beyond anything I ever anticipated. I couldn't believe it. She has never reacted to any kind of discipline like this. I'll ask, what does that tell you? I I guess I just underestimated totally how attached she is to that. What does that mean? Well, I guess it means it's her it's her lifeline. It's it's everything to her. It's become her her social everything existence. Did you see that before? Well, I knew it was important, but I didn't think it would be like this. I will tell parents, you'll get a very up-close and personal indication of how totally linked the child's being is to that cell phone. Most parents underestimate it. Most parents realize it's important, and they see on a day-to-day basis how it it intrudes, it in basically encroaches upon their child's life. But they didn't really see emotionally, psychologically, socially, behaviorally how rooted it was in their child's existence. And they only saw it when they attempted to remove it. I own a duplex. I was raking leaves this past fall, the duplex. And a fellow behind the duplex came over and he said, did you, did you see a, a girl come through here? I said, uh, no. How old is she? Fourteen. I said, no. No, I didn't see her. And he he said, then my daughter's run away. And he ran back up to the house. A little bit later, I went up to him and knocked on the door. And I said, uh, I just want you to know I can do anything I can do to help you. And then I said, did you take away her smartphone? And he looked at me like, how did you know that? And I said, well... Has she ever run away before? she ever threatened something like this before? No. You took her smartphone, didn't you? Yes. Well, fortunately, she came back. She just roamed for an hour and came back. But parents were shell-shocked. They did not realize the response that they would get if they did something like this. It is a direct indication of how locked into that device a child can get. All righty. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. When we come back, I shall, well, I shall lock into my device and see what we have here in the way of e-persons. He was a doctor of the church and one of the most famous saints of all time. 
Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Augustine is honored for his immense contributions to theology, but he balanced his genius with humility. Once declared it was pride that changed angels into devils, it is humility that makes men as angels. He died in 461. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. I'm Dr. Stan Williams, and this is The Logic of Catholicism. Solanus Casey said, Appreciation is as necessary for social order and harmony as are the laws of gravity for the physical world. There are a lot of things we can't not know. Take gravity, for instance. When you put your foot down, it stays there, unless your spouse pulls out the rug you're standing on. Gravity is not just a good idea, of course. It's the law, a natural law. And you can't change natural laws. They are what keeps the universe in order. For instance, gravity reminds you not to step off a cliff without suffering painful and life-threatening consequences. Ah, law and order. Something to appreciate. Today, tell someone you appreciate God's laws and His order that keeps you grounded. And that's the logic of Catholicism. Explore more at AveMariaRadio.net. Under Resources, look for me. Dr. Stan Williams. Abortion. Pornography. Embryonic stem cell research. Corporate contributions to Planned Parenthood. Do you invest in companies that are engaged in these practices? The Ave Maria Mutual Funds do not. And their investment portfolios reflect that. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Dr. Ray Garendi, thanks for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. Dan McGraw, filling in for Andrew Kruchek, producer man over there in Ann Arbor Studios. All right, hold on a second. Let me get to where I'm going with this. Okay, those go out and get to the date. Here we go. It's from Parker. Okay, let's see. I am engaged to be married. My fiancé has an 11-year-old son. His father is not at all involved in his life and has not been for many years. I've been a part of their lives for the last two. They moved to town four months ago. So many changes have occurred, which could be cause of some of the things that are happening, but I doubt they are the main problem. All right, let me stop there. A lot of times... The history indicates that something's been building up for a long time. And if you look back on it, you will see this has been coming on for a long time. However, we like to summarize data. We like to take things and put them into smaller, explainable bits. So Parker's thinking, well, they moved here four months ago, and this kid's really acting up. Maybe that's the precipitating event, as psychologists like to call it. Well, if they were in my office... I would explore that. I would say, what was the dynamic between this young man and his mother? Because obviously, his mom was a single mom for many years. 
What were what was the discipline like? What was going on? How did she feel she could handle him? Was this stuff present at six? Was it present at three? Has it been building? So Parker says, I don't think this is the reason. I don't think it's the main cause. It could be a factor. It could inflame the situation. But the overall question is, how long has this been going on? To quote the song, since they've moved here, the son has had to start a new school. And top it off, two months ago, they moved again. He, as I am told, has troubles at school learning, making friends, and when he was younger, he fell on the spectrum for autism. Well, see, my question there would be, who made the diagnosis, on what basis, and Parker says, when he was younger. Does that mean at this point he's functioning at a level that that diagnosis would not be made? Because autism on the spectrum is a developmental disorder. So if it was there, it should still be there. So that raises the question... Okay, what about the validity of the diagnosis? All right, he goes on. We are in the process of taking him to get him assessed so we know how to better love and discipline him together. Parker, i got to tell you, um, to better love and better discipline him, this is going to sound silly, you would do well to better love and better discipline him, independent of his autism. Whatever it is that makes his personality a bit different, perhaps, from other 11-year-old boys, you still got to deal with. If he has impulse control problems or if he socially struggles, yeah, you can help him with that and you can love him. But, but the discipline still has to be there. You don't say, well, he has a condition, therefore we have to change our discipline. No, even even if... In a broad-based developmental way, he's 8 years old instead of 11. Would you still not discipline an 8-year-old? So, I'll go on with this. He throws large-scale tantrums on a regular, he has actually very regular basis, about a wide range of things, even those things we try to do that he loves. He also makes snotty comments back to both of us at a rate of nearly a hundred percent. And that could be about anything from helping him with homework, asking him how his day was, having him make his bed, eating dinner, you name it, good, bad, it doesn't matter. He fights and won't stop fighting or complaining for any reason. All right. Parker, I don't know the situation here. If I were to guess, and I would explore this, it sounds like a long-standing discipline problem. Um, if you've talked to his mother, I'm sure you have about this at length, I would wonder how long this has been going on. If you say, well, we're going to look for a diagnosis, and then the diagnosis will be able to explain why he is this way. No, it won't. It'll just put a name on what he's doing. It'll put a name on his his development. And if the diagnosis more or less says, here is a kid who's going to be harder to raise for these reasons, okay. But even falling somewhere on the autistic spectrum does not automatically lead to being disrespectful nearly all the time or throwing major league tantrums when you're 12. These are behaviors that you'll have to deal with. 
I'm, I'm going to go on with this, and then I'm going to offer a few more thoughts. Um, okay. I have never met a kid who seems to be less thankful and more ungrateful. I am also aware a lot of the issues could be due to autism. Oh, you don't know that. Because if a child is diagnosed somewhere on the autistic spectrum, and it sounds like you're saying this kid is high-functioning, that doesn't mean he can't be have behavior problems. It's dual diagnosis. For example, kids who are diagnosed ADHD have a very high percentage of concomitant, comorbid, as the shrinks would call it, diagnosis of ODD, oppositional defiant disorder. The ADD leads to the problems in disciplining. It isn't necessarily the total cause of it. Same thing with the autism. You know, we don't know how much the autism would influence the way he conducts himself on a day-to-day basis with authority. However, what you do know is that he's doing a lot of really, really misbehavior-type stuff that you and your fiancé are going to have to deal with. And um, the other question I would have, Parker, do you and she disagree with how to handle this young man? That's a potential problem. That's a potential big problem. One of the main reasons for second-time-around relationships to break up is the kids. Now, I don't know. I will tell you what I see a lot as a shrink. I will see a single mom who has tried hard to deal with a young man and struggled with it. And then if she gets into a relationship with a guy, the guy oftentimes sees the discipline problems and wants to do something about it, but there's disagreement between the newcomer to the scene and the parent who has been on the scene. I don't know if that's your situation. He says, I'm a very discipline-oriented parent. And I do my best to be consistent with my discipline, but it actually seems that things are continuing to get worse and worse each day. Well, I would have to ask about that. Because many of the parents who come into my office tell me that. I'm very consistent. I'm very discipline-oriented. It's getting worse and worse every day. When they tell me this, I explore it with them. And I find out that there are a lot of things going on in the dynamics of their discipline or the relationship with their spouse or the history that need to be tweaked quite a bit. And so what appears to be a very discipline-oriented approach is not. Is not. Almost all the time. And it's not that that the person is lying to me. They're not lying to me. In their mind, they see themselves as much more consistent than they are. And it's getting worse. Now, I'll tell you, I've been in this business a long time. When you have a loving, consistent parent over time, it almost always gets better. It doesn't get worse. Unless there's some really egregious variables lurking around somewhere. But much of the time, that's not the case. All right. He says this. Our intention is to still go down a road to finding a diagnosis. But even if you do... Even if they say he falls at this point on the autistic spectrum, then what? Are you going to say, well, when he throws these fits, we'll just calmly reason with him? I don't think that'll do much. Or when he is disrespectful to us constantly, we just shrug our shoulders and say, well, it's because he's on the autistic spectrum. I think we have to overlook it. 
because that's not doing him a favor or you a favor. That's going to make things a lot worse than they are even now, which you think they can't get much worse now, but he's only 12. It might be helpful to know that from what I observe with all of his family, here we go, ding, 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 ding. I did not read ahead to read this. This is this is an e-person that came from uh, a little while back. might be helpful to know that from what I observe with all his family, and I don't know who that is, maybe grandparents, maybe grandparents have helped raise this boy, so they're a factor in here, is that they have turned to just ignoring the behavior, likely due to the frustration the behavior causes and the tantrums thrown when he doesn't do what he wants. I'm lost. Parker. If that has been their approach for some time now, just ignoring it, putting no limits or consequences on it or expectations on it, it's going to get worse. So if that has been the family dynamic, whether his mother and she's living with her parents or her parents are involved in the kid's life, whoever you're alluding to by saying the family, that would explain some of this. It's got a history to it. And I can't know, but more often than not, the history of misconduct that has been permitted in one way or another is a much more determining factor in what you're dealing with than the actual diagnosis that you give it. God. Father Mitch Pacwa shares his experience. I certainly had a bit of opposition. My father wasn't pleased with this at all, and he kept arguing with me. Once when I was 12, he said to me, what do you want to be a priest for? Why don't you be a doctor? You don't have to be a priest to help people. You can be a doctor and get married and have kids. And I said to him then, Dad, if I was a doctor and I help people get better, that would be very good. But later on, they're going to die anyway. So If I'm a priest and I hear somebody's confession and they go to heaven, that lasts forever. So that's better. And he didn't know what to say. And he continued to oppose the idea over the next years. Yet that didn't stop me. And uh, even when he said, I'm going to disinherit you if you become a priest. And on the day of my first mass, he did. But as I also said to him then, he told me, okay, you're out of my will. I said, Dad, I can't keep it anyway. It doesn't matter. I'm a Jesuit, and we can't keep the money, so it really doesn't affect me. The issue is I'm trying to follow what God, our Lord, is asking of me. And this has been where I have found the greatest joy, that doing what I believe through my own prayer and through reflection and thinking about it and moving from a little boy's idea of what a priest would be like all the way to now in my early 50s, you know, realizing that, This is exactly what I think is going to please God the most. And that's what I want to do, to please God. 
For information on the priesthood or religious life, log on to www.ewtn.com slash religious life. Dr. Ray Grindy, this is no rinky-dink shrink we're dealing with. Living life better through good thinking. I have designed, I know I've read that previous email about uh, the uh, boyfriend saying that this young 12-year-old is disrespectful about 100% of the time. I'm, I'm going to develop a snotometer. Uh, it's something that you can hold up. It's kind of like a Geiger counter. It's something you can hold up, and it it gauges... The level of snottiness coming from a kid, because I've experienced that most parents really get immune to a lot of snottiness. They do. It's a, it's I call it the battered parent syndrome. They've heard it so much, and this is the child's style in a number of contexts that the parent starts to get immune to it. So a snotometer could make me big money too, by the way. Um, is is I think it's a gauging device, right? I'll have to, I'll have to tweak it. I'll have to work on it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get 114 year olds, and then I'm going to have them say their say their standard arguments against their parents. Yeah, right, mom. Whatever. No way. I'm not. And then I see where it registers on the snotometer, and you calibrate it. Is what you do. I don't know. I think it's got a future. All right. Here we are on ePerson. Monday from Amy. Hi, Dr. Ray. 82.64% of all female e-persons come to me with the appellation, Hi, Dr. Ray. Okay, this, this was something that I received before Christmas. So I'm going to read it, but it's, it's not just relevant to a Christmas visit. This is going to be relevant to a, a, a whole bunch of other broader-based matters. I'm worried about being around a specific family member this Christmas. I have anxiety just thinking about being around him, and I'm trying to have a much shorter party this year. Well, apparently, Amy, you're the one throwing the party. So I'm going to assume that you think you have to invite this family member. All right. Backstory. He was in ICU for two months in 2017. And through paying his bills, I discovered he was an alcoholic. I don't know who made that diagnosis. I don't know the extent of it, but that's that's what Amy's saying here. I brought him into my home for almost a year to help him recuperate, but he went on a drinking binge. Now, Amy, was this some point during the end of that year that you finally said, I can't control him anymore? Or are you saying this is something I dealt with throughout the year? I don't know. He said, (laughs) okay, you ready? His binge was Amy's fault. That's right. He said, it was because I was arguing with my teenage son, and he had to get out of the house. He had his own apartment downstairs. Well, there, the problem was solved. He didn't have to sit and listen 
Apparently, you were taking care of him, but he also had another place to live. So maybe you had an apartment above him. You let him stay with you because you think he needed some help recuperating. You were being nice about this. And then you're getting into these arguments with your teenage son, and he didn't like it. And that's because you drove me back to the bottle. That's what he's saying to you. Okay. Now, the question one could ask here is, well, why would why would Amy be so accepting of that kind of blame? Why wouldn't she say, that's nonsense? I didn't do that. You had a you had an apartment to go to if you didn't want to listen to it. And furthermore, and <clears throat> I was helping him out. And in helping him out, um, you'd think he would be grateful and he wouldn't blame me for his drinking again. <clears throat> so what's the answer to this question? Well, it's coming up. I happen to read a little bit ahead on the break. Now he says, that was just an excuse. Well, that's good. He got insight into that. But there has been so much back and forth with what is my fault in the family. Now I'm assuming the back and forth is this family member telling Amy how wrong she is in her interactions with her family, and she's the source of all kinds of trouble. Now I have no way of knowing if that's the case or not. Okay, now here is, I think, the historical, well, it's what made Amy so sensitive. At age 19, meaning Amy's age 19, my mother told me I was the reason she didn't get treatment for terminal cancer because it was too late. We weren't getting along. Whoa! Whoa! Talk about guilt. I didn't get treatment because of you. Because you're 19 and we're not getting along. And you drove me to not get treatment. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. However, even if it is, once again, this, this explains why Amy reacted so much when this guy said, you're the cause of me going back to drinking. I don't know if it's that I'm very argumentative or if my family doesn't like taking responsibility. I don't know either, Amy, to tell you the truth. But even if you are argumentative, you're not responsible for what your mother did and you're not responsible for what your family member did. Even if you can be argumentative and open your mouth a little too much. I would never say these things to my son, Dr. Ray. I've become depressed and isolated for the past decade, but this this brother is passive-aggressive. It's especially hurtful that I found he's been portraying me as a terrible person to my son. How can I control my anxiety around him for the holidays or to go visit his new house? One, I don't know if you want to go visit his new house if he's trashing you in front of your kid. doesn't mean you don't forgive him. It just means you don't want him to have access to your kid, so he sits there and turns around and tells your child how awful his mother is. <laughs> That's unconscionable. The holidays, if there's other people there, just avoid them. Talk to other people. Sit in a different room. Don't worry about it. You only got to make it through a couple hours anyway. A- any kind of visit. But it would seem to me 
if this person is intent on basically blaming you for all kinds of things and is intent on bringing you down, well, you you don't have to put yourself in that position. It doesn't mean you don't love them, doesn't mean you don't forgive them, doesn't mean you don't pray for them, but it also means why would you do that? He's got a place to live. He can get along. Amy, I don't I don't know your personality. I can't say. But even if your personality is as difficult as they say, it still doesn't mean they have the right and justification to say you're responsible for all that they do. And you might want to protect your son from this guy's input. Bishop Robert Barron on the priesthood. You as a parent apply Galatians 5. Watch your kids as they move into the religious space, if you want to put it that way. I you know, made noises about the priesthood on and off when I was a little kid. My parents were never oppressive about it. They never pressed me in that direction. But they would quietly indicate an openness to that or like, that's a good thing. I remember I still have it upstairs, a Bible that my parents got me for Christmas in 1969. I'm a little kid. And it's, you know, from mom and dad to Bob, Christmas 1969. They knew, they sensed I was kind of interested in religious things. So I would say that. Don't be pushy, of course. But don't go the other direction. My generation got too much of that. was, oh, oh, back off. Who am I to tell you what to do? You make your up your mind. No, I think gently, quietly affirming that, yeah, that's a good thing you're thinking about. And you should be open to that. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Call to communion. Through EWTN Radio, we talk to audiences all over the world. One thing I found out is everybody in the whole world has the same set of questions. They live the same human life. They all want meaning. They all want love. They all want significance. They want forgiveness. That's the most fascinating thing to me. The same answers work wherever you are throughout the world because we're all children of God. Called to Communion with Dr. David Anders. This afternoon, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Archbishop Georg Gonsvon is Prefect of the Papal Household for Pope Francis and Personal Secretary to Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. In his new book, How the Catholic Church Can Restore Our Culture, you'll find a collection of the Archbishop's lectures, speeches, and interviews. How the Catholic Church Can Restore Our Culture by Archbishop Georg Gonsvon. The latest release from EWTN Publishing, now available at EWTNRC.com or call 1-800-854-6316. Giving you a strong Catholic offense on the gridiron of life. Little football lingo there. Dr. Ray Garendi, thank you for joining me. Okay, this is E-Person Monday, where I find a way to work my way through 
it used to be a stack of email. And it, it made you feel very important. And you got this big half-inch stack of e-persons coming in, and I'm thinking, wow, boy, that's a lot. But when you look at your phone, it doesn't matter because the phone doesn't get thicker. You just have to scroll. So you really don't get the same fluffing up of your self-image with a phone. I noticed that. Sure did like that stack in those days. From Denise, we have had a bad two years with our now 17-year-old son. He is saying he only goes to Mass youth group to see friends. He says he hates living here. And all that we try to do to help him make good decisions. To be prepared with proper formation in regards to sexuality, drugs, vaping, all of which we have had issues with. He claims it doesn't help. He blames us that he doesn't have a phone and cannot connect with his friends. We did buy him an iPhone only to catch him with sexting and looking at pornography, so we took it away. And we bought him a flip phone. Ooh! Flip phone. Ooh. How's it start? Does it have a crank? He got frustrated with it. And he chucked it into the road. My husband said, that's it. No more phone. (laughs) I think that would be that's it with about a bunch, a whole bunch of other stuff, but we'll just leave it at the phone right now. So he snuck one into our house. I busted him, and everything broke loose. Okay. This was written to me about a month ago. I don't know where this all is right now. But I will tell you this kind of stuff was the impetus to my most recent book. My most recent book is titled Raising an Upright Child in an Upside-Down World, Defying the Anti-Parent Culture. Something has shaped this child into the way he thinks, the way he acts, the rejection, and I identify it as rejection, not rebellion. Rebellion is generally a transitory teenage type thing, but rejection is a wholesale chucking of what the parents believe in. So something has altered this kid's view of the way he was raised. Well, it's more than altered it. It's warped it. Now, if mom and dad had not any hidden pathology in their relationship or in their home, which Likely they didn't. I mean, they were trying. I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe Denise here. They were they were trying to raise this kid upright. What made him that way? What? I know that the factors in our culture that can now seep into a child's life, email, computer, social media, video games, materialism, television, music, Celebrity, adulation, all of this stuff, all of it is very powerful. It's far more powerful than parents realize. And it causes this kind of sad family dynamic. Here's a kid who says, I, I don't I don't want anything to do with the way you are. I don't want anything to do with the way you raised me. 
Why? Obviously, there were opposing forces to the parents' upbringing. This isn't something where if this kid were on a farm in 1880, that he would say, you know, you've tried to raise me with morals and a God-fearing sense. Boy, I want no part of that. Yes, that did happen. But not anywhere near the percentages that it's happening now. This is an epidemic of kids raised in good homes turning violently in some respects against the way they were raised. So that might be a little bit of an explanation. What do we do about it? They said he would be 18 in seven months, which means six months. Because this email came from a month ago. Six months. Okay. What will they decide to do at age 18? If they are like many parents, they will be afraid to say to the child, you can't live here under these circumstances. You don't follow our rules. You're disrespectful. You hate everything we stand for. You can't live here. I'm not telling them to do that. I can't tell them to do that. I don't know the situation. I'm not their therapist. I suspect that the child will want to leave. Or he will do what a lot of kids do. I want to go to college and I want you to pay for it, Mom, so I can go live and please and do what I want. But with that attitude heading into college, a very high percentage of them don't make it through the first year. They don't go to class. They flunk out. They get into the party scene. If it were me and I had a child that was so completely uncooperative, If college is in the future, it's going to be local. It is going to be here at home. Now, one might say, well, wait a minute, Dr. Ray, come on. The kid's already already out of control. You're going to send him to college at age 18 when he thinks he's a major and he doesn't have to listen to you at all. Aren't you asking for trouble? It depends. If my terms are that if you don't cooperate, you don't live here, then I'm not asking for trouble. It's all going to be up to mom and dad. They they make the decision here. But in cases like this, and I see a ton of this stuff. You can't know how much of this stuff I see. In cases like this, sometimes the child will just have to face life independently on his own. And some of them do settle out. The way they were raised by mom and dad is something that they can step back into. Those those morals, that teaching was is, is there. I mean, it may be buried way down, but it's still somewhat alive, percolating in the deepest recesses of their minds and their hearts and their souls. But for the moment, the attitude is, get away from me. I don't like anything you stand for. Now, he's already got a history of doing all kinds of stuff. She's already said that. So what do you do? I mean, sadly, and I don't know if that's the case here, but sadly, a lot of kids are just out of control. They're just out of control. You can't do anything about it. It's done. And and oftentimes, if a, if a client comes into my office and describes a situation like this, and the kid's 19, living in the home, I get a lot of that. And they ask me, what can we do? And they describe all the things they've tried and all the things they've done and all the ways the kids responded. My answer sometimes is... It's over. It's done. This child is going to learn whatever he's going to learn now at the hands of life. 
But, Dr. Ray, we tried so hard. I know that. I don't doubt that. Unfortunately, the culture tried harder. And I'm going to be very blunt. The majority, the vast majority of parents are underestimating the persuasive power of the cultural misshaping forces. They are. And it goes on for two, three, four, five years. It's relentless. The culture says, this is good. Your parents are wrong. This kind of sexual acting out, that's good. Your parents are wrong. Desiring this is good. Your parents are wrong. All of it. From celebrities to sports heroes to video games to computers to YouTube to social media to smartphones, all of it is there. And even those parents who are walking apart from the parenting crowd, the faithful parents, the religious parents, trying hard, even those parents underestimated. They truly do. So, I don't know here what Denise is going to do. It sounds pretty ugly. And she's going to have to make some tough decisions as a parent, however she chooses to do that. But there is, and my experience has been, in cases like this, there's no magic answers. There's no formula. This child is absolutely convinced. And he doesn't want to follow his parents' ways. And in much of human history, by the way, 18 was meaningless. You did this kind of stuff when you were 15, 16, 17, and parents, parents got you out of the house. That's it. I asked a friend of mine. He's from Iraq. I said, Rahim, what happens in your culture if a child does this? He says, well, they cannot live in our home. I said, do they have to be a certain age? He goes, no, no teenagers. If they're not going to cooperate and live with the parents... Respect the parents, they, they don't live there. I said, so that's a very different way that your culture deals with this. He goes, yes. I go, do you have the kinds of problems that we American parents have? And he looked at me like I had nine heads. Like, what? No. <laughs> Not even remotely close. So, my book, Raising Upright Kids in an Upside-Down World. I strongly recommend it for those of you who are in the process right now of raising these kids and feeling assaulted by the culture. What do you do about it? How do you recognize it? How do you resist it? And how do you develop the backbone to say, I can do this, and I'm not going to worry about whether my child is unhappy with me or resents me? I'm Dr. Ray. Live Catholic. The EWTN home video highlight for May is The Message of Fatima, The Collection. Experience the amazing events that took place in Fatima in this eight-part EWTN original docudrama. Order your DVD set at EWTNRC.com, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Or call 1-800-854-6316. 
If you believe in the power of prayer, Ave Maria Radio invites you to look at their website to submit a prayer request at AveMariaRadio.net. Your prayer requests are shared with hundreds at the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, the Servants of God's Love, the Monastery of the Blessed Sacrament Cloistered Nuns, the Family of Faith Apostolate, and the staff of Ave Maria Radio. Just go to AveMariaRadio.net and click on the Community tab to submit your prayer request today. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. John 6, verses uh, 48 to 58. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread, meaning me. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and never die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh, at which the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're scandalized by this. How is it that we're not? How is it that we just hear this and go, Oh yeah, I know that passage. They're just outraged and at least perplexed. Sane people, inspired teachers, wise men, prophets don't say things like this. One more for the E-Person Road. I listen to your radio show, watch your TV show, and have purchased a couple of your books. Well, you should be way smarter now. I await in anticipation to proudly display and follow your wise directions if an opportunity arises. Now, here's a woman who's thinking parallel to me. Well, my opportunity did arise during this past week. When a large number of family members gathered at our house, I failed. However, but I believe I did a fine job of recovering. Here's what happened. Grandniece and nephew were over with their three children, ages two months, 18 months, and four years. The 18-month-old was chasing the four-year-old around the large living room and kitchen, and our dog was chasing them. Their mother told him to stop running before somebody got hurt. Before I knew it, I said, Oh, no, it's okay. They can run in here. I know you don't have much room in your house for them to run around. Oh! <laughs> you know, you sound like Marie Barone on Everybody Loves Raymond. She was always very good at starting off with a compliment, which really nailed it. <laughs> I know you live in this little hovel. <laughs> I know you didn't mean that. I'm teasing you, Karen. Realizing what a horrible mistake I had just made, undermining the authority of the parent. Well, I think, personally, if they wanted to get offended, you kind of slammed their house. But that's all right. I tried to recover quickly by saying to the mother, but if you would prefer not to have them run around, I'll help you get them to stop. Good move, Karen. Good move. See, you are learning from me. It's not so much knowing the wise thing to say in every situation. It's knowing how to do damage control. That's what I've learned all my life. I have to do a lot of damage control from my mouth. The kids did get sidetracked into doing something else, and they stopped running on their own. But why did I overrule the parent when I knew better? I think it was because I was really happy to have everybody over, and I wanted those kids to like me so they would come back. Karen, they're going to like you because you are who you are. Not because you had to be permissive. 
not because you had to be softer than the parent. They're going to like you for who you are. Sound like an insightful lady. I like it for who you are. I'll try to do better next time. Well, you know, Karen, you're not going to do better next time. And you know why? Because you said you have a couple of my books. Two. (laughs) You have monstrous psychological gaps all over the place. You have to have at least eight or ten of the books, I think, to have a complete psychological overhaul. Right now, you're just hitting on about one or two cylinders. But that's okay. You are wise enough to recover quickly. I appreciate all you folks being with me on this E-Person Monday. Good Lord permitting. Talk to you tomorrow. Walk with God. And do, don't do do what Garrett says. That You know, you can run. I mean, if you want to let them run. And hold them by the hand. Of course, you can't. If they're running, they're faster than you. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Carlo Broussard here from Catholic Answers Live. Wanted to wish you a blessed and safe Memorial Day weekend from all of us here at EW10 Radio. Looking for a 2020 view on how Catholics are voting in the upcoming election? EWTN News and Real Clear Opinion Research are partnering to bring you clear and concise data on where the nation stands on issues, candidates, policies, and more by surveying Americans, including Catholics like you. And it's available now at EWTNNews.com forward slash poll. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Hi, my name is Father Noah Mori. Today we celebrate the glorious solemnity of the Ascension, which is the culmination of the Paschal Mystery, the Passion, Death, Resurrection, and Ascension of Jesus. It marks the end of the 40-day period that Jesus spent on earth after his resurrection. And in these post-resurrection occurrences, Jesus is trying to instill in the hearts of his disciples that he had truly risen from the dead. Now Jesus ascends into heaven not to distance himself from our lowly state, but in order so that he could send the Holy Spirit upon us. Jesus gives us the great commission at the end of today's gospel, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Behold, I am with you always until the end of the world. Jesus remains with us in the Eucharist. He remains alive in our hearts and in our world today. The Ascension is a beautiful celebration for us as well because our human flesh, which Jesus took on for our salvation, is now living and reigning gloriously in heaven. And so we can be confident of following where he, our head, has gone before. And so the challenge for this week is to speak to one person or more, but speak to at least one person about the ways that Jesus is alive in your life. Imagine what 12 ordinary men did. They set the world on fire because they responded to the great commission of Jesus. May we respond in like manner to speak to others about the way that Jesus is alive in our hearts, that he is living within us so that we too might transform our families, 
our society, and our world. Two Minutes to Virtue is a production of the Catholic Diocese of Arlington, Virginia. For more information, visit their website, arlingtondiocese.org. Thanks for listening to KJMA 89.7 Floresville, San Antonio on the Guadalupe Radio Network in South Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Catholic Radio for your soul. Heard also streaming on grnonline.com and on your smartphone.